In this era of grave spiritual crisis, it is not enough to simply know about your Catholic faith. That is why we need a Catholic toolbox to equip us with the practical skills necessary to live our Catholic faith to reach our ultimate goal, which is heaven for all eternity. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Join us every Tuesday night at 8pm for the Catholic Toolbox as we hand you the tools to go forth, live the faith and change our modern world today. Live on The Voice of Charity. Welcome back to another week in the Catholic Toolbox, the art of practical Catholicism. I'm your host and founder, George Manasseh. Here is where we equip you with practical solutions to live your Catholic faith in our modern world of today. And a very relevant question for our modern world of today is the role of women in the church. As many clerics, many people, and including women, are seeking for a greater so-called participation in our modern world. The, the subject and the question of women deacons, or more properly, women deaconesses, is on, the, is on the radar. After Pope Francis concluded the Amazonian Synod, it was brought up again. And, you know, having a discussion with my, with several people, you know, going back and forth disagreeing, I decided I'd get in the house, expert Dr. Robert Haddad, to answer the questions regarding that. So welcome aboard, Robert. Thank you, George, for having me on your program. Uh, it's always a great blessing and an honor to be invited. Thank you very much. Uh, now, I know you're the man uh, to discuss this subject. I remember calling you uh, after after Easter with, the, with that question, you know, in mind, and, you know, we chat about it for about 30 minutes and, uh, and really, and, and so many people are discussing and speaking about it, you know, I mean, you got to, parish councils, you got a parish discussions, you know, you have women all over the place asking the question, can we be deacons? You know, which brings us back to the real question. Well, what is the role of the diaconate to actually answer that question properly? And what's their role in the liturgy? What's the nature of the gospel reading? Does that need a priest or can that be changed or can that be amended? So there's so many questions to be answered, but let's get straight into it. What is, where did this question come from? Where, where did this idea of women deaconesses come from? Because people speak about it originating in the early church. For those who don't know, where did it come from? What's its origin and where are we heading into the future? That's a very good question and it actually requires a detailed answer. The short answer is that there were weak women deaconesses. Um, the first port of call that people go to uh, is the Acts of the Apostles, and I'll give you the reference here, chapter 6, verses 1 to 6. And we have, uh, well, that's where we have the deacons firstly being ordained, so to speak, to serve at tables. And they were seven men, and they were called to uh, assist the work of the bishops, so the, the apostles themselves, so that the apostles wouldn't be pinned down to do relatively menial tasks, that is, serve at tables, when their primary mission was to uh, proclaim the gospel. But in Scripture, the I'm just looking here for the reference. It's in Romans 16, and it's verses 1 to 4. And we have someone, a woman named Phoebe in the church of Sencre, who's called Diakonos, uh, which means servant, servant in the church of Sencre. So, from there and afterwards, in the sub-apostolic church, in the church of the first four centuries, and in the Byzantine part of the church, up until the eighth century, there clearly were women acting as deaconesses. But the big question that's uh, asked to this day is what was the nature of this diaconate as distinct from the diaconate of the men, of males, etc.? And that's the ongoing debate. Though... It has been investigated formally, and we have had clear answers in the past. 
as to what the nature of the female diaconate was. But there's still this push or this agitation for female deacons. And I'm concerned that this agitation is not founded in apostolic tradition or scripture or authentic <clears throat> desire for, you know, a uh, more active role of all laity in, in the church. But really, it's an ideological push uh, founded in feminism and their, uh, you know, inveterate desire for not just equality, but sameness. And we'll make that distinction later. What do I mean by that? You know, men and women are equal in dignity, but this revolutionary push wants men and women to be exactly the same. And that's also another concern. Exactly. Well, in the early church uh, at the Council of Nicaea, even there were canons uh, regulating women deaconesses. And to, to some point in the early church, did they, and they even rebuked uh, those women who were overstepping their role uh, as deaconesses. And what's actually interesting is that in the important in the important point is Robert is that they did not hold apostolic authority. They were not part of the priesthood in that sense. They were simply there to assist those being women being baptized because in the, in those early days, men obviously handling women to prepare for baptism. You know, getting changed and everything. Uh, so they were there and obviously preparing. Uh, I believe a bride for marriage. At that time, so so they had no apostolic authority in the same sense as a deacon today. What we can say with uh, with real certainty, and this came out of the commission that the Vatican um, uh, held, and the finding well, a commission that was called in 1997, and the findings came out in 2002. A commission that um, a couple of current cardinals. Cardinal Mueller and Cardinal Taglay sat on this commission and in their detailed findings in 2002 made it clear that women deacons were instituted differently to male deacons, that women deacons had different functions, different roles as against male deacons, and that the female diaconate was not part of the of the holy order, the holy orders, the exactly. priesthood, namely constituted by the diaconate, uh, presbyterate and episcopate. And that what was done to women in, in, in bringing them into this role, the female diaconate, was not an ordination as such that there were imprinted no laying the of character hands. on the soul. There were no laying of hands, as what, what, what I read well, very actually, clearly. This is... We have to be careful here because I have evidence in front of me, and this is from this 2002 commission, yep. that there were instances, and I've got here the apostolic constitutions of the fourth century, where deaconesses are called, quote, your widows, your virgins, and your orphans, uh, and that they there was a laying of hands, but what's important is not the action of the laying of the hands but what were the words that were said by the bishop in this ceremony laying of hands so we've we found even in the 20 um the another commission that pope francis called in 2016 and its findings came out in in may 2019 is that there were clear distinctions in this ceremony and that even if there was a lane of hands, and there wasn't always a lane of hands when women were brought into the female diaconate, but if there were lane of hands, what's important is what were the words that were said. And with the men... I mean, we lay that, hands all the time to bless, to that's sanctify. Right. I mean, it's not, not about the actual laying of hands. That's not the essential. Craig, now let me give you an example. Yep. This is in the apostolic constitutions of the fourth century. And this would be, these are the words that would have been pronounced by the bishop, laying hands on a woman, uh, instituting her into the female. So this is the actual right of institution. Yeah, this is the words. I'll Excellent. give you the words. Let's hear it. Eternal God, Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, look now upon your servant before you. Propose for the diaconate. Grant her the Holy Spirit and purify her of all defilement of flesh and spirit so that she may acquit herself worthily of the office which has been entrusted to her. Amen. Now, it's interesting here. There's no reference to assisting the bishop at the altar to do any of the functions relating to the Eucharist. 
the same document, the Apostolic Constitutions, made insisted that the deaconesses had no liturgical function. They should devote themselves to the service of the women. So these words yep. were pronounced by the bishop. There was a laying of hands, but what it really was was invoking the Holy Spirit to assist these women to assist other women in their needs, yes. in their spiritual needs, or for example, as you said already, you know, if they're being prepared for baptism or being catechized uh, or the distribution of the Eucharist to those who are in prison or housebound, etc. This is the important distinction here. And again, that the findings of the commission from called in 2016, and the, uh, the, we, hit, we have those findings in May 2019, Pope Francis acknowledged that there is clearly a difference in the ordination of men and women in the early church in the formula, the words that were pronounced. Um, uh, and that designated whether they're, that was core to what their roles were. And if I, I just quote you from what Pope Francis said, he said this. <clears throat> Pope Francis said historical documents evaluated by the commission given, giving the formulas for ordination of women deacons showed that, quote, they are not the same as for men's diaconal institution or ordination. Sorry. <clears throat> they look more like those for what would today be the blessing of an abbess. Okay, not ordaining yeah. one to the uh, holy orders. Excellent. I mean, you've painted a very clear picture from the early church of the fourth century, as opposed to someone being ordained to the presbyterate. The bishop would have uh, spoken clearly the theology of what they were ordained to actually do, as opposed to this rite, which you mentioned. You see, the core thing here is what did Jesus Christ do? Now, Jesus Christ uh, or creates the ministerial priesthood at the, in slowly in stages. You know, we see him in, uh, I'm reading now in, in Mark's gospel where Jesus, I think it's chapter 5 or chapter 6, he sends out the disciples to uh, preach the gospel, to proclaim um, repentance, to call for repentance, uh, in view of the upcoming kingdom, establishment of the kingdom of God by Jesus Christ, to anoint the sick with oil. So this is chapter 6 in Mark's gospel, and to cast out demons. Now, this is going to be part of the, the core apostolic mission, plus later on, the Last Supper, do this in commemoration of me. And immediately after the resurrection of Christ, he breathes on them the Holy Spirit, and he commits... He bestows upon them the power and authority to forgive or bind sins. Now, that was all done only upon men. So the plenitude of the, of the sacrament of holy order was given to men only. To the, and, and that is something that um, John Paul II, 22nd of May, 1994, made it very clear that what we're following here are not rules made by men for men, but rules made by Jesus Christ for the church. And therefore, we have no authority to ordain women to the ministerial priesthood, being faithful to what Jesus Christ himself did. And so the plenitude of the sacrament of holy order is given to the male only. Later on, according to the needs of the church, and we see it in the Acts of the Apostles, to assist the apostles and their successors, the bishops, in their mission, then we're going to have uh, instituted the diaconate, as I read in Acts 6, and then the institution of the presbyterate. Now, I can't see where that's specifically in Scripture, but it's mentioned, the priest, the presbyterate is mentioned. But these are co-workers to the bishop. There's only similar one to the sacrament. Old Testament, Robert, similar to the Old Testament where they had the Levites and uh, there's different levels of hierarchy of that priesthood. Now, in the New Covenant, there are different levels. There's the bishop, the direct successor of the apostles, the presbyterate, those who share with him, and then the deacons, the helpers. Yeah. And, and presbyterate, too, are co-workers. Are co-workers. They're commissioned. Yeah, they, they can do everything a bishop does except ordain others to the episcopate. And generally, priests don't have the 
authority to administer the sacrament of confirmation, but in certain circumstances, they are given that. In certain individuals are, depending on the circumstances of the local church. So there's only one sacrament of holy order. There's not three sacraments of holy order, diaconate, priesthood, and episcopate. There's just one sacrament of holy order and the different levels of participation yes, or exercise okay. of that power and So authority. it's sort of like the bishop has the fullness, and then yeah. when you step back, the priest is ordained up to what the... He can do, and then take a step back. You have the deacon. He's only ordained up to, let's say, the gospel and serving at the altar. But they all—it's all that one priesthood. It's just—it's—it's it's like swimming in an ocean. It's this deep, but it's how far you swim and what level you get to is what you possess. Yeah, well, yeah, they all—there is the imprint of the character on the soul, and yeah. what I mean by and that. And there is, is an ontological change. That's right. Exactly right. And that has never been given to women. And, and it's, not a, it's not discrimination here. It's not persecution. Ooh. There's no injustice here. <laughs> it's, about in, it's about fidelity to the Lord himself and what he did. And we talk about equality in dignity between men and women, and that's true. But what we must not have is sameness. Men and women are different for a reason. Now, just look at it from the natural perspective, the male and the woman, are they different biologically? And that's so because uh, that creates mystery between man and woman. It creates attraction between man and woman and enables man and woman to cooperate in the creative power of God. That's how he ordains it. We shouldn't be complaining and saying, hey, the male body and the, the woman's body are different. We should make them the same. This is the modern problem of transgenderism. We should rejoice in the difference. And gender fluidity. And exactly. And gender fluidity as well, unfortunately. It's the same image in the church. The, God and Christ specifically creates the church with this male-female perspective. The priesthood is the male perspective that gives the sacramental life to the to the spouse, which is the church. And in the same way that the man supplies the seed to the woman to create new human life. And there's God in all that, bringing, making that all efficacious. Um, and we shouldn't, we, I mean, if we're going to tamper with his sacrament, it's going to be uh, detrimental to the whole life of the church. And, we don't tamper with any sacrament. We don't say, well, maybe Jesus should have used cake rather than uh, than, than exactly. bread in the Eucharist. Yep. Or maybe okay. he should have used Coca-Cola and So not choosing that wine. consistent mindset across everything in the church. But Robert, uh, we've established, and I think it's very clear, even to those who are more progressive, that Jesus ordained men to the priesthood and the role of women deaconesses in the early church possessed no apostolic authority or priesthood. They were commissioned for something else, which was not liturgical. That's clear. That's done, dusted. Now, I think what the real problem is, if we dig deeper, is that what people who are promoting this, uh, the, res the resurgence of the female diaconate is, is that they would like to see women more involved in the church. So they want to reinstate is it now a question, it's really a question now of, is it a good idea to reinstate that same role that women held in the early church back today, just so we have a sense of inclusion, inclusion and, you know, women are doing something? Look, it's possible. Is it necessary? Your question was whether it? it's the right time. Yep. Whether it's the right time, whether it's a good thing to do. My only concern is that we're, we're in the middle of an onslaught a power grab in the church, uh, and the ultimate aim is to have uh, women priests, women bishops, archbishops, and a woman pope. Now, there are some people you'll never satisfy them, no matter what you give them. It is entirely with it is it is entirely possible, and um, for the pope to say, okay. We've got the findings of this. We've got another commission, a third one underway at the moment as we speak. And when this commission hands out, hands down its findings on the diaconate, it might well say, well, this is exactly what the female diaconate looked in the early church up until the 8th century before they all evolved into nuns and their functions were taken over by religious women under vow, under veil and under vow. 
right? We can reinstitute this and Pope Francis in his discretion as Pope might say, well, I think we can and we should, that's his call, reinstitute, reinstitute the ancient female diacona. And he might be doing that because he has a sense of uh, greater equality for women, a greater role for women in the church, and that will be a good thing for the overall, overall church. He might be also doing it to, to satisfy the demands of those who want more power in the church. But my fear is that if we do reinstitute the female diaconate as it was in the ancient church, as, as distinct from the male diaconate, those who want the priesthood because they simply want the power they will not be satisfied. These people are revolutionaries. They're not interested in, the, in what scripture says. They're not inter, inter, interested in the apostolic tradition. They're not, they have an ideology where they believe that this is just, these were just men's rules made for men to enshrine their power and that Jesus was bound by the social norms of his time, which were, which were absolutely not the case the contrary was the case and that we should break this ancient prejudice and have women as deacons as the next step towards the episcopate in the same process that happened to reflect the process that happened in the anglican church a step by step closer and closer grabbing one trench line after another until they but achieve Robert, their final this is what they argue yeah. and i've spoken to these people is that Surely, no. Once we have women deaconesses, they it won't pres it won't progress to the priesthood, and it can't progress to the priesthood. They'll just get their women diaconate, and they'll be happy and satisfied. They won't be because the female diaconate will look different and have different functions to the male diaconate, and they'll still argue that this is discrimination, and they'll still agitate on their ideological grounds, grounds not based in scriptural apostolic tradition for a female priesthood, etc., And I don't see how this restlessness can come to an end because John Paul II made it very clear, May 22, 94, as I said. In earlier, Ordinatio Sacramentalis. Yeah, the church has no authority to ordain women to the ministerial priesthood, yet you see so many today, and it's not just women, by the way, so many men, lay, clerical, uh, priests, bishops, Cardinals of various countries, particularly Central Europeans, Western Germany, Europeans, especially saying Germany. that the issue is still open. See, th this is the funny thing: is that okay? We've established the the role and what it looked like in the early church, and why women were instituted in these roles because women were preparing women for baptism at the social convention of the time was a male can't obviously help a female. Get, get ready for baptism and several other roles to help females and prepare females because there was sort of a bit more segregation between the males and females at the time. Now, and obviously, of modesty as well. Exactly, and it disintegrated naturally with organic growth when society when people mingled a little bit more over the time. And now, if you would equate what that role was back then, it would look like basically a, a nun or, or you know, the great roles that we have in the church today, would, would that be the equivalent of what we already have? And that's exactly why the female diaconate disappeared. So it because naturally we, disappeared because yeah, of that it, it reason. organically disappeared. There was no ruling of any church council or any pope saying we now uh, uh, will get rid of women from the diaconate or the female diaconate will abolish that ministry. No, there was no such ruling. It dissolved because the, as infant baptism increased, we had less, less baptisms which were of adults. And therefore we had a, less, a smaller number of adult females needing baptism. And therefore the need for women deaconesses to assist there dissolved. But as, as we had the growth of religious orders uh, and women living under vow, under veil and under vow in communities, those functions that were normally carried out by women deacons who were lay were now carried out by women under vow. And, and, and those functions included, if I could read here, some of the functions, uh, social and charitable responsibilities, welcoming newcomers and pilgrims, uh, looking after the offerings, maintaining order and silence in the church, uh, ensuring that people were suitably dressed when they came to the, the Eucharistic celebration, visiting prisons, administering baptism and teaching 
most of those functions could be carried out by women under vow. So we don't need the women diaconate today. We really don't. We already have what it what, what, what they do the same without the title. I mean, it really, you question the intention of those pushing that because why do they need the title diaconate? If anything today, if we were to install that order, we shouldn't call it diaconate because what happens is it confuses on a sociological scale that, oh, uh, um, deacon is here and he's going to be saying the gospel and then, oh, deaconess is here or deacon. You, you know, it, there's a confusion, but really, we don't really need de deaconesses. They're already are doing a tremendous well, job. You know, all, all the nuns, all the religious, you. all the women that are doing great work in the church, uh, whoever it is, whether you're a male or a female, that we already have the equivalent and more from what was previously yes, the role. We already have women doing in the church what females were doing in the ancient church. It already exists. And more. So, that's right. And, and I therefore, uh, I have to concur with you and repeat what I've said earlier, that what is the motivation behind this push? Uh, they really want ultimately holy orders and they want to uh, uh, overturn what Christ himself did. And that is give it, bestow that only upon men. And this will, will mean a direct attack on the priesthood. My personal opinion, and I can't say I'm a qualified theologian on this point, but my personal opinion is that to ordain a woman to the ministerial priesthood would not just be illicit, it would be invalid. In other uh, words, I don't think you need to be a qualified theologian to yeah. I mean, <laughs> comment it's, on it's that. It's illicit, meaning it's illegal. It goes against the law of the church. It would simply it, be in, invalid. Like if we, if we, yeah. if a woman was to was to kneel and the bishop would lay his hands with the same uh, right of ordination, it would, you know, enjoy your time, but it's invalid. You know, it's the same with the because, Anglican Church. You know, uh, well, not church, yeah, ecclesial it's, it's, community. It's because. It's because uh, the sacrament, the valid matter for the sacrament, in my opinion, and I can have people correct me here, is a, is a baptized male. In the same way, when we talk about sacrament, sacramental theology, you've got to have proper matter and form. And so you have to have the right matter, and the matter could be water for baptism, uh, oil for confirmation, uh, bread and wine for the Eucharist, and you have to have the proper words at the same time when the you administer the sacrament. formula that's actually used, exactly. And the proper, and the matter for the sacrament of holy order, okay, is a baptized male. So if you say, if you lay hands on a, on a woman baptized or not, and you say the words intended that, that are normally used for the ordination of a man, and you have a valid bishop doing that, I don't believe it's a valid, it's a valid uh, con a consecration or ordination because you haven't got the, or the matter that Christ himself intended to receive ordination. That is a baptized male. So that's, so if that's the case, then you can't have a valid mass celebrated by such a person. You won't have a valid Eucharist. So it's, an, it's a direct attack on the core life of the church. Okay, and now we'll take a break before we open the line. Uh, we won't be taking questions or comments this week because we have a lot of subject matter to cover. But be sure to email us at thecatholictoolbox at gmail.com. That is thecatholictoolbox at gmail.com or comment your questions in Facebook Live platforms. And we'll get that question over to Dr. Robert Haddad to answer it for you in the coming week. So stay tuned here. We have a special video that will be recurring over on the Catholic Toolbox. I want you to listen very clearly and see if you can help us. My name is Father Damon Seifer. I'm a member of the Priestly Fraternity of St. Peter, which is the Latin Mass Order. Our order has been ministering to the faithful in Western Sydney uh, for about 20 years now. But we think it's time for us to find our own place to be able to build our own church. So we're really encouraging people to make donations, perhaps even dedicated to monthly donations so that we can afford to take on perhaps a mortgage for this great endeavor. So we would like to in the long term, build a traditional church for the celebration of the traditional liturgy in the Latin Rite. We would encourage you to think about this, to pray about this, and see if God is calling you to uh, commit to helping us with this great endeavor to build a new church for Western Sydney.
and welcome back to another week in the Catholic Toolbox, The Art of Practical Catholicism. I'm your host and founder, George Manasseh, here as we equip you with practical solutions to live your Catholic faith in our modern world of today. And we're continuing our great discussion. We're really on a roll here, speaking about the ordination, not the ordination of women, sorry, correct me, but women, the role of deacon, women deaconesses, and can we have women deaconesses today? And are they necessary? Do we really need the role? Are we resurrecting it back today? But we will continue our discussion here and pick up on where we were. Uh, Robert, are you with me? I'm sure here. Thank you. Thank you very much. So we picked up, um, we established that the role of the, the female deaconesses in the early church was to assist women, to, to minister to women on all levels. That was because there was a segregation in society at the time. And it eventually dissolved and disintegrated into the religious life of women and the other ministries that women carried out by the 8th century. And now we have in our time a, a push for women's involvement in the church today. But and really, when we really assess what that's actually looking like is that we're looking at some of their intentions that you know perhaps some people want to end up with the priesthood which is not possible. And so the question I have for you is this. And, and let's start off with this. So the role of the, the deacon, male deacon, deacon possessing the priesthood, is able to read the gospel at mass and is able to assist at the altar. Could we then say, well, you don't really need a priest or anyone ordained or someone in holy orders to read the actual gospel. Could we just have a woman reader or we could reinstate the women deaconesses and they can have a liturgical role? Well, anyone can read the gospel. I'm doing a Bible study, study at the moment at a parish in Sydney and it's on the gospel of Mark. I'm a layman. I'm not ordained. I'm reading the gospel and I'm proclaiming it and I'm giving an exegesis on the gospel um, to over 100 people every night for eight weeks in a row. But it's what is the context of that? It's not in the liturgical context. So because um, part of the apostolic mandate, a core part of the apostolic mandate is to proclaim the gospel, and that was given to the apostles, and their successors are the bishops. So it's a core function of the bishop to proclaim the gospel to read the gospel and to preach from the gospel. And in the liturgical context, that should be, give, that should be reserved to the, those who are celebrating the liturgy in the context of the liturgy. Otherwise, you're dividing the functions unnecessarily. There's an organic unity here in what is the what we should see in the liturgy should reflect the organic unity of all the functions of the ordained minister. Lex Orangi, Lex Credendi, Lex Vivendi. That is, so could you, could we safely say that, and, and I assert this all the time in my discussions, our operational standard, our strict operational standard in the church today, no matter what we're doing, liturgical, pastoral, catechetical, should be Lex Orangi, Lex Credendi. How we pray or how we act should be reflected based on what we believe. Absolutely. Yeah. And there's been a we divorce to preach. some extent in the church in recent decades, unfortunately, in that regard. Uh, but, you know, I, I say that, you know, we talk about the role of women. Um, there's plenty of roles women can have. And already of have. The already have and have had for centuries outside of the liturgy. And we've got, to re we've got to remind ourselves of what those roles are. I work in an industry, education, in Australia, in the Archdiocese of Sydney. 80% of the employees are women. Do I have a problem with that? 80% of your employees are women. 80% of women wow. in Catholic schools in the Archdiocese of Sydney. Sorry, 80% of teachers uh, in schools in the Archdiocese of Sydney are women, are female. Do I have a problem with that? Absolutely not. This is, uh, teaching is something organic to women. It's part of their nature. I dare say so uh, at the risk of getting in trouble. I could be accused of being sexist here, but I'm not concerned with those no accusations. No one's listening, Robert. Don't worry. Yeah. I mean, 
<laughs> women teach because women are mothers. They are the they they are the closest of the two parents to the children, and they have a natural function, therefore, to be teachers of children, and that's reflected also outside of the home in the classroom. Women are natural teachers, and they are great teachers. And I know many women who are great teachers, and women who are leaders, not just a teacher in the classroom, but could be a KLA leader or REC, religious education coordinator, or an AP or a principal, or even higher, a consultants or directors, and they're female executive directors of schools. Now, uh, these, these are very powerful positions. And likewise, in our Catholic health system, in our in our hospitals or our nursing homes or wherever where there are many aspects of the Catholic health system where women predominate, where women are the uh, are in this numer numerical superiority, where women have the uh, role and the power at all levels, even at the highest levels. And so, why are we forgetting that? See, we shouldn't uh, be the, the way I see it, Robert. The way I see it, Robert, is when we always push for just women, 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 women to just be doing things. Are we somehow disrespecting women, the women who are doing a great job already? Are we saying that the role of women at the moment, and starting with our lady, the mother of the church, our mother, are we disregarding the roles of women? Because I find that offensive. What? And countless other women find that offensive. That are, well, are we downplaying the role of women? You know, do they? Well, well firstly, yeah, firstly, sorry, we forget. We're forgetting in this battle, in this argument, uh, of the the fact that there are so many women already in powerful positions in the church. We are forgetting that service has a priority over power. And that power is not meant to lord it over others, but to serve. But what is really offensive, to uh, accentuate the point you are making, is that we are denigrating what is the core function of womanhood, which is, dare I say it, marriage and children and raising children and raising children for the kingdom of God on earth and in heaven. And the, the revolutions that we're now uh, suffering uh, whether it be the sexual revolution or the hyper-feminist revolution or the transgender revolution, whatever revolution it is, whatever phase of the revolution we're in, all at their core denigrate this important function, natural function, this divinely given function for women to be lovely wives and wonderful mothers and to participate with men and be co-creators with God in the bringing of new life into the world and raising that new life for God. That's what has been completely forgotten. Not only forgotten, if it hasn't been forgotten, it's under constant attack. And we can flip the table and say, well, are men just providers? Are we just there for money? Are we just there for protection? Are we just there to be... We could flip the tables and I could start a masculine movement that seeks to tear down... <laughs> <laughs> I could start it now. I have, uh, I'm the founder of The Right of Manhood. So for those who want to get exclusive content for men, Gentlemen's Men's Club, go to my website, www.therightofmanhood.com. Sorry, Robert. And I, I still don't have any problem. I don't have any problem. And okay. I'm not embarrassed to say that following St. Paul, that men are the head of the woman and the family and the women are the heart. What is this headship? What is the nature of this headship? Unfortunately, we can fall into a distorted view of this headship, and it's we can say that it's a headship simply of authority and power and leadership. Of course, it's authority, power, and leadership, but for what end? For what sake? As to serve, to suffer, to sacrifice out of love for our wives, for our children. It's a it's a headship of service and it's in partnership with the hardship of the woman uh, and the, the woman as, as wife, as mother has a domain. She's a queen. She's not just some servile partner to the man. She's a queen with her own power and authority working in tandem in partnership with her husband to raise those children for God. Uh, where is this being taught today? Where is this known today? Uh, where is this proclaimed today? Oh, you, you rarely hear it anywhere. And this is the great problem we have today. Okay, Robert, going back to the female diaconate, 
The way I'm seeing it is that, yes, sure, I do believe that the underlying problem is, is, is a power grab. You know, it's not really that, oh, we want more women to be involved. I mean, as a good friend of mine put it, women have all the roles in the church. If you actually measure majority of people in the pews are women, majority of people reading at mass are women, majority of people behind in the sacristy in the parishes are women, the majority there, of the people singing are women. The men are women gone. The men are gone in churches. We have a manless church today, unfortunately. Men are nowhere to be found apart from the priests. So we're actually lacking in vocations. But I think that the underlying problem is a power grab and this, this, this dominance of either the patriarchy in, in, in a bad sense sometimes, but this, fe this feminist movement that's seeking just to tear down. It's not really actually trying to build up women in the authentic sense. And by the way, most people, most women don't even identify with that form of feminism. But let's look at it on a liturgical scale. I'm not a proponent of female altar service, never will I be, because if you actually look at the theology and of the mass and the liturgical structure, it leads to the hierarchy of the priesthood eventually. So I, I'm a big proponent of uh, male altar service, or obviously in the ordinary form, because in the extraordinary form, there are no provisions for female altar service. And, and once we start having females starting to serve, I think it opened the idea perhaps that, oh, now, you know, you don't need a priest to read the gospel. Now we can just, yeah, women can, you know, read the gospel. You know, that's okay. As long as they're not offering mass and consecrating the host, that's fine. We've, we're stripping the liturgy, our lex orandi, to, to basically just, that we, all we need the priest for is just to consecrate the host and do his bit. And that's about it. You know, we're really stripping away the theology and it's eroding. You know, it's sort of like sexuality where you don't find limits and boundaries. You know, you cross too many boundaries and you just say, as long as I don't have marital in intercourse or, or, or something like uh, or something of that nature before marriage, that's okay. It's sort of like we're eroding, you know, chastity liturgy. I, I like to parallel them, but we're eroding slowly, let's say in the liturgical context where, okay, females can serve. Okay. And then they're asking now for female de uh, deaconesses and will they ask for the priesthood next and will they say okay well a woman could be serving at the altar and uh, sort of help with the through him with him and in him you know she can hold the chalice that's okay you don't need an ordained minister for that and that's okay she can elevate the host just after father consecrates the um the body and blood she can elevate it that's fine just like anybody because we all touch the host anyway with uh, extraordinary ministers of Holy Communion. So it's sort of like, where do we stop? You know, once we let one boundary go, again, it's not about uh, having, I, I serve with females all the time, you know, when I serve in my parish, but it's not, the bigger question is, if we become insensitive to the rituals of the liturgy, and they don't mean anything, the little things to us anymore, then eventually we're going to erode everything away till there's nothing left. Well, see, the process you're talking about is just going to reduce the priesthood to its power, but no authority. The power being yes. the power to consecrate, That's but it. take away the authority to do everything else. Why would any man want to then join the priesthood? This is the problem. That's why I'm opposed. Everything you said is a possibility, and we should fear those possibilities. Well, who thought we 200 years ago we'd be speaking about female altar service? Who thought we'd be speaking about female deaconesses? Now, some people are even asserting a liturgical role, not what it actually was in the early church. Who thought, you know, we'd be touching the host? Who thought we'd be touching the chalice? Who thought, because we had that sense of the sacred. You know, if we, we're not Gnostics. The way we express our faith is also in the flesh. It's not just physical. This is the liturgy. This is the holy sacrifice of the mass. You know, if we become insensitive to these small things, Sure, it's easy to dismiss us who say that and say, oh, well, you're just being, you know, rigid or, or, or strict with these little rules. They don't really matter. Just overlook them. Okay, that's fine. But again, we don't operate in the church based on how we feel or what's good for the people. We think first, what's our faith and how are we going to express it? The lex orandi, lex credendi. That comes first. And then pastoral needs come second. 
that's how, that's the the organic process of decision making in the church. It shouldn't just be what do the people want. We just do that. It should be what is our faith? What is the liturgical expression? And what are some pastoral needs to make amendments relevant? You know, we're not thinking like that anymore, Robert. Like that, that's what I'm getting the sense. We're eroding small things, and we're going to eventually, as pro, as when Protestantism on a theological level denied the authority of the Pope. They eroded everything away and it led to atheism. When we're eroding small liturgical things, it's going to lead to no reverence at all and therefore no faith eventually. We're eroding everything. Well, that's to a large extent has already happened. I just also want to add, giving all these little functions away to women is also a form of tokenism. That's, that's the reality, you know. I mean, altar servers and acolytes, uh, it's just, let's have women, females as altar servers and acolytes and do these other functions uh, to please them. And all we're just trying to do is satisfy uh, a desire for functionalism. Functionalism, yes, let's yes. do functions. Let's, and it's, it, it smacks of, of excessive uh, tokenism here. I'll give you one example of where women can be wonderful uh, in the church in a very deep and profound way. How many great women theologians have there been? You know, we've got doctors of the church like St. Therese of Avila, uh, St. Catherine of Siena, uh, St. Therese of the Infant Jesus, St. Edith Stein, for example. I had, as a, one of my greatest teachers that I enjoyed in my life, I had Alice Nelson, a lay woman here in Australia, a disciple, a student of the great uh, Reverend Dr. Austin Woodbury. And I had Alice Nelson, a woman, an elderly woman, as my teacher in theology and philosophy on Monday nights for nine years. This is a legitimate way in which, in which women can have great authority in the church can, and can serve in wonderful, fruitful ways. And we're going to move away with this from this obsession with respect to functionalism and move more towards the spiritual again, where everyone, including women and men and the old elderly and the young, are, are functional in prayer, in seeking sanctification, in teaching, catechizing, in proclaiming, in spreading the gospel, in converting people. That's what I want to see women and men do in the church together, rather than you know grasping for functional roles in the liturgy. And we should keep the integrity of the liturgy and the functions within the liturgy to the ministerial priesthood. It's simple. You know, it's, it's like me trying to intrude and say, I want to live the life of a nun. And, you know, I feel excluded as a man because I look at the, the, uh, the, the contemplative nuns and the way they live. And I can't intrude on that. And I can't become, an, <laughs> I can't become a, a, a nun or I can't, uh, let's say, head, you know, a women's uh, spirituality group or, you know, I feel excluded from those things, you know, really. What about, what about if on the natural level, on the biological level, should I feel excluded? Should I be aggrieved that I can't bear children? Exactly. Of course not. This is, this is how I was created by God. And this is natural. I can't, I should not interfere with the natural, nor should I interfere with what has been ordained in, in the supernatural realm. I should rejoice in who I am, what I am, and what I'm natural. Robert, can I ask you a question? Sorry? Can I ask you a question? Sure, sure. Do you think to a certain extent it's not... People pushing for this perhaps do have an immature, have an immature faith or perhaps no faith at all and are using, let's say, the church as the platform to push an agenda rather than... They're Catholic and they're actually genuinely concerned for the participation and faith of women. And that's their first priority. They want them to get to heaven, focus on the salvation of their soul, save souls, <laughs> bring people to heaven, save their soul. <laughs> because the conversations I've had, Robert, don't seem to reflect that <laughs> the, uh, no. the direct no, theological uh, mission of the church. It seems to be sort of where they don't know the faith, they're not catechized, and they just feel excluded. And the church is another platform for them to sort of serve and take positions. And, you know, it, th that's sort of my understanding some, sometimes. For a start, you, you've captured it well. A lot of these people who advocate this power grab for the priesthood, as we call it, they don't speak the language of souls and salvation and getting to heaven. It's sort of like, uh, are we speaking about the same thing, you know? 
Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they, they, the church is just another NGO, non-government organization to you know to alleviate poverty and social injustice in the world. Now they're important functions, but they're secondary functions compared to you know leading people to heavenly glory. And again, these people, and I do have a grave suspicion here. They're not about theology. They're not about revelation, scripture, apostolic tradition. They're about ideology. And they're pushing the ideology, as I said earlier, and using the church as a platform, a political platform, to push this ideology. They're more in the spirit of the world, the revolutionary spirits of the world, rather than the, the, the Holy Spirit. I think that's perfectly said. And look, we're not saying everybody's in this category. There are some people who have actually had great conversations with actually asking the legitimate question. Maybe it could be a role for women to be ordained uh, deaconesses and serve a function. And maybe the church could discern, we feel like we need women. You know, they're leaving it up to the Holy Father and to the church. But again, I go to extra mind and say, is the Holy Father thinking prudently? Is he just going to just ask, satisfy them? You know, we don't want to hear, you know, the nagging again. Let's just give it to them. Or is he thinking about, hey, well, we actually don't need women. The nuns are doing I a great just, job. I, I That's offensive. My, yeah, sorry. I'll give you my opinion here, what I suspect here. I think I think the Pope clearly knows and believes that the ministerial priesthood cannot be bestowed upon women. He said that in a plain interview, uh, that he said that John Paul II has closed that, has settled that question. I think what he truly desires in his heart is that he wants to see what other roles we can give to women. Uh, and that might include the female diaconate. And I think he highly suspects that, that there truly was a distinction between the male and the female diaconate in the early church. And well, that he fact. knows he can't it's fact. Uh, bestow, the female diaconate in the modern age can't, look like the male diaconate there won't be an ordination there won't be the probably don't even give them the, the word deacon because i think it's confusing i think it's quite well you, you got you make a point there and i see the validity of your point and that he could well move eventually towards a situation where he creates another type of ministry and if he does it'll be look like it will look like the uh, in, to a large degree what the female diaconate did in the early church and hopefully he gives it another name to distinguish it I think he should give it another name to distinguish it rather than diaconate. I mean, that would be great. I'd love to see, you know, this this new order. You know, we're always evolving as, as the church. You know, I'm, I'm um, look, I received spiritual direction from the prelature of Opus Dei and I have great conversations with uh, more traditional-minded people. And sometimes uh, they, 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 they pick on me and uh, say, oh, well, uh, Opus Dei is this and that and it's new and it's kind of different. But... You know, the church does progress and the church does move and, 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 and new breath, but it has to be organic. It can't just be yeah. something. Right. We don't operate based on what people want or ideologies are pushing for us. We operate based on what's necessary for the salvation of souls. What's going to serve the people on a spiritual level based on the theology mm -hmm. of the, our faith? Well, there's always been organic development and legitimate organic development. I mean, we had religious orders, new teaching religious orders arise in the 18th and 19th century. We had the Jesuits arise in the 16th century, the Franciscans and Dominicans in the early 13th century, different variants of the Benedictine spirit in the centuries after St. Benedict, like the Cistercians, etc. Uh, so we've always had that. And so the church is not a museum. But it's not, or it's also not a shop or a cafeteria where everything is up for grabs, and we just discard the apostolic tradition because we we want to be trendy and adapted to the latest that's revolutionary. That's not our operational design. way, or that's not how we make decisions. The way we operate in the church is based on the theology, and the church over time has organically grown. Let's say liturgically, the Roman rite never looked the same in the first, second, third century, fourth century, fifth century. It organically developed after Trent and then uh, uh, with John the 23rd adding uh, saints to the canon. You know, it organically grows. And if there's going to be liturgical reform, it needs to be one that's motivated. Again, this is the key word, motivated by the theology, the, the, the faith. How is this in keeping with the apostolic tradition of faith? It's not just, oh, these people don't like the mass. Let's just chuck it out. And that's how we're going to make a decision. Or let's just feed into are oh, these people want this role? Let's just uh, let's just grant it to them. 
We have to have re we have to substantiate why we're doing it based on the theology of the church and tradition. And it has to be over time because sometimes some uh, things develop naturally over time through the sensus fidelium of the of the faithful. You know, it doesn't just pop overnight. <laughs> so, I mean, that's our operational standard. It's not, and I think we need the before we make decisions, maybe create something where this is this is how we function as a church. We don't just make decisions because oh, it suits the people. You know, we look to God first, make decisions based on that, and and make decisions accordingly. Oh, absolutely. And again, it's all about, I think we need a great revival in the catechesis and in the theology, because I think that's where I see the problem. We don't know the theology. We don't know what it's rooted in. We don't know its source. And, and I'm repeating this phrase because I, I heard it very recently. All these rules about men and their power in the church, that is diaconate priesthood or the episcopate, were just met, rules made by men for men. When you hear something like that, you know that that person knows nothing about the nature of theology. A revelation in particular, revelation is found in the written scriptures or the unwritten apostolic tradition. We need to revive the understanding of the, the, the nature of revelation, written and unwritten, and how it's binding on us, the apostolic tradition, and how we should rejoice in that rather than seeking to overthrow that. You know what the consistent answers were uh, uh, among the surveys that were sent out for plenary 2020 was catechesis, 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 catechesis. That is the ultimate thing that we need to work on. If we could stop what we're doing, on every level in the church, everybody get working in educating and catechizing everywhere. Your agencies, your uh, your parishes, your schools, everybody, your classrooms. That's the only thing we need to work on. And if we work on that for five years, we're going to have a resurgence of vocations. We're going to have growth and understanding of the faithful. If we just do that job and do that well, we'll sit back and relax. You're going to have a healthier church and numbers will start coming back. I think that is the key. And that will answer your question no matter what the question is put on the table. Is that when you the understand... Key, the faith. key to effective catechesis is knowledge plus, not just knowledge. Yes. What the student, the young person must see if what you teach is going to stick with them is the witness, the authentic witness of the catechist, of the teacher. Without that, then your efforts are just hypocrisy. And the student, the child will see that right through that and nothing will stick. So we need people who know their stuff, who uh, agree with the theology and who live it out. And they witness to it and they're passionate and they're enthusiastic about it. That's what the student will remember. That's what will make it stick. That's what they will come back to when they fall away for a short time or whatever number of years. That is what is important. That is what we need to recreate. That is what I see is lacking. Now, remember, I, I'm among education circles every day teachers, professionals, old, young, male, female, at all different levels. And that's my greatest concern. Are we creating through our universities, whether it's ACU, Notre Dame, Catholic Institute of Sydney, Broken Bay Institute, our schools, whatever, the home, the parish, are we creating passionate, enthusiastic witnesses? That's what I need to see more of. Excellent. Thank you so much, Robert, for coming with me tonight. And, um, and discussing this. I'm absolutely grateful for your time. You're welcome. Thank, Thank you very you much. Thank you for your effort. We'll do it again next time. So be sure to subscribe and download to the Catholic Toolbox podcast to listen to any of the episodes available on the Apple iTunes or anywhere that you get your podcasts. So thank you very much for tuning into the Catholic Toolbox, the art of practical Catholicism. I'm your host and founder, George Manassa. Until next week, God bless, take care, and take action. In this era of grave spiritual crisis, it is not enough to simply know about your Catholic faith. That is why we need a Catholic toolbox to equip us with the practical skills necessary to live 
our Catholic faith to reach our ultimate goal, which is heaven for all eternity. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Join us every Tuesday night at 8pm for the Catholic Toolbox as we hand you the tools to go forth, live the faith and change our modern world today. Live on The Voice of Charity.